Growing up, I had very little concept of the idea of actually knowing God. I knew about my need to be saved. I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I knew that I could only be saved through faith in what Jesus had done. But the idea of genuinely knowing God, having a relationship with Him, was a pretty foreign concept. I think I would describe my view of God at that time as biblical, but incomplete. Right? For instance, I knew Scripture said Jesus loved me, but I really didn't understand that God loved me. I mean, I knew the words, but what that meant, how that affected my life. Uh, was really meaningless to me. I, I knew Scripture taught God was actively involved in our lives, but I really didn't see that. I really didn't understand that. And I wasn't sure that God actually cared about me. And it wasn't that I had a question, does God care about me? It just never occurred to me that God cared about me and what was going on in my life. I, I knew I was supposed to love God and I knew I was supposed to serve God, but it never really occurred to me that I could serve God because I love God. I think that many people if not most people, go through periods in their lives where there are problems in their view of God. Right? And when you look at people in the world, in, in America, around us, I think there are a lot of views that are kind of very common. Right? One view is God, while God is creator of the world, so He's big and He's awesome and He's great, He's also far off and out of space somewhere. He's really not interested in their lives, what they do. Um, and so those who believe this, they just kind of go on living their lives and doing Kind of whatever they want to do, never really taking thought to, to God, His will, His word, what He would say to them in any particular issue. Now, if they get into a pinch and if there's a bind in their life in some way, they probably, probably will call on God and ask God to pray or maybe ask someone to pray for them. And, and in their mind, God might or He might not help. It's not that big of a deal. That's just to them that God is some big being far off who is someone to be believed in, but not necessarily someone that you focus on, not someone that you live for or are overly concerned about. Others view God as a cosmic genie, but His main job is to do whatever they want Him to do. They don't want to go to hell, so God's job is to save them. They, they don't want to have problems in their life, and so God's job is to, to keep problems from coming. They don't want to have financial problems, so God's job is to make them financially successful. They don't want to deal with the consequences of their sins, so God's job is to cause a crop failure so they don't reap what they have sown. In the end, God is not someone to be loved and served. God is someone who exists to please me, to serve me, and to do my will. And as long as God does what I want Him to do and acts in the way that I think He ought to act, then I think God is great. But if God fails me and doesn't keep up His end of the bargain, well, I'm just really disappointed in God. He let me down. Others would see God as someone to be appeased. They see God as a giant judge who hovers over them, watching their every move, just waiting to punish them for any wrong. They feel they must constantly appease God, lest He bring some kind of trouble upon them. They are constantly concerned that they do a good deed to overcome their bad deeds so that God doesn't give them a disease or He doesn't break their leg or He doesn't bring some sort of harm or heartache or loneliness or trouble upon their lives. So appeasing God is the motivation for all that they do. They live their lives in an effort to keep God from being angry so God doesn't break their leg, burn down their house, or kill one of their kids or do something. To show them how displeased he is with them. Now despite the fact none of these views are biblical or accurately described the God of the Bible. There is a better than average chance there are some in here today that hold one or more of these views of God. 
Now, these views of God, and really all views of God, they distort the character and the nature of God. Right? To see God as someone who lives over us but doesn't care about us forces us to ignore passages like Matthew 10 and 30 where we're told the very hairs of our head are numbered. To see God as a cosmic genie whose job is to serve us, it distorts the greatness and the glory of God. We have to ignore passages like Isaiah 4 or Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, where we see God is majestic, glorious, and powerful. When we see God as a judge who's just looking for a reason to smite us, we distort the grace and the mercy of God. We have to ignore passages like Joel 2, where we're told God is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, full of unfailing love, and eager not to punish us. Another problem with those views is they assume God cannot be genuinely known. That we really can't know the God of the Bible. Either God cannot be known or God does not want to be known. He has no desire to know and be known by those He has created in His image. Those that He redeemed through the death of His only begotten Son. Truly to believe that we have to reject all of the revelation of Scripture. Two main themes run through Scripture are God can be known in a real and personal way and God wants us to know Him in a real and a personal way. Have you ever really thought about that? Thought about the idea that God who created all things, who sustains all things by the word of His power, He wants us to know Him in a real and a personal way. Yeah, I mean, just take time and read Isaiah 6. The God who is worshipped by angels who cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. The God of Revelation 4 who sits on His throne where lightnings and thunderings proceed from it, demonstrating His great power. That God, He loves you and I in a very personal and individual way. And He wants to know us in a very personal and a very individual way. Do we believe this? Do we really believe that that God truly wants to know us? And perhaps a better question is, do we want to know God? In that way. Do we want to know God as He wants us to know Him? Now we should. Because if you were here for our very first service on this mini-series on revival, we learned that the point of revival is God. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? God revives us so we can rejoice in Him. God revives us to restore and renew our relationship with Him so we will rejoice in Him. But again, the question comes back to, do I really want to be revived in this way? Do I want revival in my life so that I can rejoice in God? That I will have a deep and abiding and intimate relationship with God? Now, we know the biblical answer, the the right answer, the Sunday school answer is yes, of course, that's what I want. That's why I'm here today. But is that the real answer? Is that really what we want? Scripture shows us not everyone truly wants this. Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. should be on page 60 in your pew Bibles if my editing skills are on point. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21, and when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word.
Exodus 20, 18-21. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings, the noise of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Title this morning is Responding to Revival. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come with a desire to know you and be known by you. Father, to know you as you know us, to love you as you love us, to rejoice in you. Today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, help us to examine ourselves in light of what we see. Father, we we all know we're supposed to say, yes, we want to be revived in you, that we would rejoice in you. And yet, the reality is often very different in our lives and in how we respond to you working in us and through us and for us. So today we ask for your Holy Spirit to come, to take the Word and make it a mirror, that we could see ourselves in light of the Word. That we could see if our heart's desire was truly to be revived in you, to rejoice in you, to to know you and to love you and to be able to make you known. On the earth. Father we ask for absolute clarity. About where we stand in our relationship with you today. We don't want to leave here thinking we're saved if we're not. We don't want to leave here thinking we're devoted if we're not. We don't want to think here thinking we're lost if we're not. Father today give us absolute clarity about our standing with you. Help us to know. Where we are and what's going on in our spiritual lives beyond A shadow of a doubt. Holy Spirit, work in all of our hearts and in all of our lives. And take this word and make it living and active and cut us where we need to be cut. And convict us where we need to be convicted. And encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. And give us hope where we need to have hope. You know what needs to be done in each one of our lives and each one of our hearts. Do it today. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Don't let me be a hindrance in any way to what what needs to be done in our hearts and our lives. Have your way, Father, in all of us. For your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The, The passage before this is very familiar passage before this is God giving the Ten Commandments. And the people had to go through a big process in order to be sanctified and to be prepared for God to come down upon Mount Sinai and to to thunder and to speak unto the people. And this was, unless I'm mistaken, the very first time the people had heard God themselves. Up to this point, God spoke to Moses. Moses went and said, Thus saith the Lord. And the people kind of wanted to hear God for themselves. And so God said, have the people gather. And you get there with them. And I'll come down on the mountain. I will speak to the people. Verse 18 kind of describes a, an overall picture of God speaking. 
And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. So it describes God descending on the top of the mountain and speaking. And it's like thunder and lightning and the mountain shaking and smoking. God was making Himself known to His people. He was letting them know He's not like them. He's very different. He's very great. He's very awesome. He is very different. He was making Himself known. God makes Himself known to us now just as He made Himself known to them then. That's a big part of what revival is all about. God revealing Himself anew to His people. Revival is God working in us and through us and for us to say to us, I'm here. I'm real. I have something to do in you and through you and for you. And when God makes Himself known to us, He expects something from us. Look at verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that His fear may be before your face, that you sin not. That almost seems to be a contradiction. Fear not, God has revealed Himself to you so that you will fear. It seems to be a a contradiction. But what he's saying is the fear that they had was the wrong kind of fear. They were having this cowardly fear of a capricious God that might just smite them at any moment. And he was saying, don't have that kind of fear. No, that's wrong. But God has revealed Himself to you to understand His greatness and His power and His glory. And as you understand that, there is a reverence, there is an awe of that God. And when we see God as He is, then that produces something in our lives. And He said that you sin not. See, God revealed Himself to them so that they would cast off all of the the junk that they brought out of Egypt and they would be His people, fully devoted to doing His will. That they would say the God of Israel is greater than all of the gods of Egypt combined. And we will devote our lives to Him. We will keep His law. We will do His commandments. He revealed Himself so they would elevate their view of God and not think He was altogether like them. And that view of God as great and awesome would move them to live for God in a way that brought glory to God. Seeing God as He is absolutely motivates us to live for God as He deserves. And here's where a decision comes in on our part. How am I going to respond to God when He reveals Himself to me? What am I going to do in light of a God who is awesome and worthy And amazing. What will I do? In this passage we see the people responded in three different ways. We can seek a mediator. It's what some did. Look at verse 19. And they said unto Moses. Speak thou with us. We will hear. Let not God speak with us. Lest we die. To hearing God speak and seeing his glory. They decided they actually didn't want to hear God speak at all. Not really. They wanted Moses to go up on the mountain. 
And they wanted Moses to get the message from God. And they wanted Moses to come down from the mountain and tell them what God had said. You know, there's a lot of people that are actually still like that today. I've actually had people tell me they are not going to study God's Word for themselves because I want the preacher to tell me what the Bible says. Why would someone have that attitude? Why, when we have God's Word ourselves and we can seek God ourselves, why would some rather someone else hear from God and bring the message? Well, the Israelites actually give us the answer for this. Speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak. What they're saying is, you go tell us what God says and we'll do it. We don't want to hear God. You hear God. You tell us what God says. We'll go the direction God says. We will absolutely do it. And if you've read your Old Testament, you know that while that's what they said, that's not what they did. Very often when Moses brought them God's word, they said, I don't really think that was God. I mean, come on, Moses, you're taking too much on yourself. You're not much different than we are. No, we're not going to do that. That's not really God. Over and over again, when Moses brought them God's word, they rebelled against it. They rejected it. But what they said was, Moses, we're rejecting you. No, no, Moses, it's not, we're not rejecting God. We didn't hear God say that. We heard you say it. We're rejecting your words. We're rejecting what you said. We're not rejecting God. And that's exactly why people don't want to draw near to God by studying the word for themselves today. Scripture is authoritative. It is the absolute and final authority on every subject at which it speaks. And when God speaks to us directly through his word, there is a divine authority that demands a response on our part. Will I respond with obedience and receive the word and change my life appropriately? Or will I respond and reject God and his word and do what I want to do? And if I'm just reading the Bible, I kind of have to admit I'm rejecting God. I'm disobeying God. But if I'm not in the Bible, and I'm just letting someone else tell me what God said, then what I can do is, I can soothe my conscience, and, and, and pick and choose what I want to accept. And I can say things like, well, I don't really think that's what the Bible means. Well, I, I just don't believe that way. Or, or my favorite, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe. And what we're doing is, we're putting an intermediary, a mediator there saying, if I were to read that in the Bible for myself and see that's what it meant, I'd have to deal with God. But I'm only dealing with the preacher, and he's kind of an idiot, and I don't have to listen to him. I'm dealing with my Sunday school teacher, I'm dealing with my parents, or I'm dealing with a friend who's laying the gospel out to me themselves. <coughs> Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to take what anyone, not me, not anyone, says blindly from the Bible. There's way too much at stake when it comes to Scripture and what we believe. I'm saying absolutely test everything you hear against the Bible. Don't just come and let the preacher tell you what to believe and what to do. You take what the preacher says and you compare it to Scripture. That's what we're told to do. Test all things. 
But the same verse that says test all things also says hold fast to that which is true. And what those who respond by saying I want a mediator do is when they hear something that challenges what they believe, how they live, or what they want, they dismiss it out of hand. They don't get into the scripture to see if that was right. They don't study it out for themselves. They just say, it can't mean that. It can't be what that said. I mean, that seems to be what he's saying, but that can't be right. What's it mean? I don't know. But it can't be that. Dismissing it out of hand by saying, well, that's just not what I believe. Or dismissing it out of hand by saying, well, that can't be right. Or dismissing it out of hand by saying, I just know it doesn't mean that. Often when people make those statements, they're trying to sound spiritual. They're trying to sound as though they are very mature. The reality is they are very prideful. They are very spiritually immature. They have no discernment as opposed to a high level of discernment. When you read scripture, none of those are good things. We are to have discernment. We are not to be proud. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The best thing for any of us to do is to be in the Bible ourselves. And if what's preached and taught goes against what I already believe or how I feel or what I'm living, the answer isn't to reject it out of hand. And the answer isn't to automatically change on our own, because that's what the preacher said. The answer is to seek God yourself. The answer is to take the Bible, take what was said, and begin to study it out and see what does God actually say. Those who seek a mediator are not seeking God. They want to give the appearance of seeking God. They want it to look like they're seeking God. They want to convince others they're seeking God. They may even want to convince themselves they're seeking God. But what they're doing is looking for an out. That's what he says, what I believe. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If that's not what I believe, if that's not how I live, if that's not what I feel, no, that's wrong. I'm not disobeying God. I just disagree with what the preacher said. Or I disagree with what this person said. So we can seek a mediator. That's what they did. Some drew back though. We can draw back. Now look at verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings, the lightnings, the noise of the trumpet, the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they, they removed and they stood afar off. And then if you look at verse 21. And the people stood afar off. Some people saw and heard when God made Himself known. And they decided to stand at a distance. They removed themselves. They, they drew back. They had as much of God as they really wanted to have in their lives. They, they didn't Notice they didn't run away to Egypt. right? They didn't just go back. They, they wanted to kind of stay with the people of God and with God. They didn't want to be close. They didn't want to be intimate. They didn't want to hear Him Himself. They, they pulled back. And we see that a lot in our day as well. It happens really in churches all of the time. People will come to church. They will hear the word. 
God will deal with them about a particular issue in their life. And it gets too personal for them. It's too challenging. It's not what they want to deal with. And so they, they draw back. But they don't draw near by searching the scripture to see if that was right. They don't just flat reject it and say, no, I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe in God. They, they draw back, but they stay on the edges. They stay on the fringes. And what they do, typically people who draw back, they draw back and then they come near. And then they stay near as long as God kind of makes them feel good. And it's encouraging them and helping them in some way. And then the minute it gets too personal and begins to challenge them in some way and there's thundering and lightning and dealing with them on a personal level, they draw back again. You see it all the time. People are forever drawing close. Oh, I want God. And then God's like this. And they're like, oh, no, I don't want that. I'm going to go back out here. And they're not abandoning. They're not running away for real forever. They... they They know they need God. They kind of want God in their life, but they don't want to deal with these personal issues. They don't want God to challenge them or change them or or do anything in their life that makes them uncomfortable. They want God to bless them, and they want God to make them feel good about themselves, and they want God to tell them they're great and they're wonderful. And if God will do that, they will be right here. Hallelujah. But if God begins to say, well, what about that attitude? What about that words? What about that relationship? Ooh, no. No, 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 no. And then, if they're really hard-pressed, what they'll do is they'll come, and they'll, as God deals with them about the same thing over and over, they'll draw back, and they'll draw near this church over here. Oh, this church. That last church was so legalistic, they were just condemning people all the time. <coughs> Terrible. And then they hear something there that, oh, better draw back from here. And then after a while, it's like, oh, no, not that church. Even those last two churches. This church, this is These people love Jesus. They really know Him. And you look at people. We probably all know people in Guyman that have been a part of every church in Guyman. Why? Is every church in Guyman sorry? Is every church in Guyman corrupt and worldly and hypocritical? Or is God dealing with them in those churches and so they leave one church to go to another church where God maybe won't deal with them in that way? They drew back. And then there are those who want to draw near. Verse 21, it says, The people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Moses was not content to stand in a distance from God. Moses was not content to let others hear from God and relay the message to him. Moses wanted to be where God was. If that meant there was thundering and lightning and deep darkness, then so be it. Life with God was better than life without God no matter what. Later, God's going to get mad at the Israelites. And He's going to tell them, you know what? I'll give you the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Moses will make the greatest statement ever. He will say, if you don't go, let us not move a step from this spot right here. Moses would rather not go into the promised land 
can go in without God. He was drawing near to God. There are some who will hear God. And it will stir up within them a deep and an intense longing for more of God. Such people will not be content to stand at a distance. Such people will not be content to let others hear from God and talk to them on God's behalf. Now make no mistake, those who draw near to God, they will be where God's word is taught, where God's word is preached. But that's not the only time they're hearing from God. They are themselves seeking God in Scripture. They are seeking God in prayer. They are forever in their lives trying to do all that they can to draw near to God. They want anything out of their lives that hinders their being near God. People who draw near, they pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and try me. See if there's anything displeasing in my life. And lead me away from it. That's the prayer of those who are drawing near to God. And every one of us, we will respond in one of these three ways to God revealing Himself to us. We will seek a mediator. Say, well, I'm just going to listen and then I'll decide if that's real. If that's really God's Word. Some are going to draw back. Now that was too intense. I... I don't want that. And some are going to draw near and say, I want God. I want God more than I want anything else. And what I want you to know this morning, our our key truth, is God wants us to draw near. God doesn't want you to seek a mediator. Jesus came to be the mediator. That's what the Bible says. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'm not your mediator. I'm not the one that takes you up the mountain. Your Sunday school teacher is not your mediator. Your spouse is not your mediator. There is one mediator. It is Jesus Christ. I heard an Indian pastor from India, Indian pastor. He said that the American church, the, the fame culture of American church Surprises him. Because he's in India. And there are no famous Indian pastors. But if a famous pastor were to hold a conference. Or start a church. People flock to it. And he said it's like. It's like in America. People want to take a selfie with Moses. And they don't realize. They can go up the mountain to God themselves. We need church. For sure. God doesn't want me to be the. Your go-between. He wants you to seek Him. God doesn't want us to draw back. God pursues us. He seeks us. That seeking is His way of saying, I want you. I love you. I'm pursuing you. He wants us to draw near. I, I can prove this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice some of the wording that indicates invitation. We can enter the holiest. Now, 
the holiest doesn't mean a whole lot to us, maybe. To the Jewish readers, the book of Hebrews, that would have been mind-blowing. And if you've ever studied the Old Testament tabernacle or the Old Testament temple, there were three places. There was the, the common area where Jewish men could go. There was the, the holy place where the Levites and the priests could go. And then beyond that was the most holy or the holiest place. And that was where the ark of God was. And it, the ark represented the very presence of God. And there was a big curtain that separated the, the holy place from the holiest place. And there was only one person in the entire nation that could go beyond that veil to where the ark of God was. And it was the high priest. And he could only go once a year. And if he went at any other time, God would kill him. And if he went in the wrong way, God would kill him. Because God's presence was holy and not to be treated lightly. And what we're told is, we can go there. Gentiles, we weren't even allowed in the temple, much less in the holiest place. We're invited in. We're told to draw near. It's an invitation by God to come to God. But notice how we're to go. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest. Think about that. The high priest did not go boldly into the holiest place. But we can go boldly. We can go in with a, with a true heart. The high priest went in. He had to make a sacrifice for his own sins before he could even enter there. But we don't have to do that. We have true hearts and we can go in full assurance that we are welcomed. We are invited. We are wanted in that place. Why can we be so sure? Why can we be so confident? Because of what Jesus has done. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. But He has consecrated for us a new and living way to get in through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Because of His death on the cross, we're able to go in. But the veil that was separated was a constant reminder that sinful man could not go into the presence of a holy God. And as long as that veil was there, it constantly said, you can't come. And when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing the way to God was now open through Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took our sin. He took our guilt. He took our punishment. He took all the stuff that separates us from God. And after He paid the penalty that separated us from God, He made it possible for us to have pure hearts, for us to be sprinkled and washed and our conscience to be clear so that we could go boldly into the presence of God at His invitation through His work on our behalf. Think about what kind of incredible desire God must have for us to know Him in a real and a personal way for God to do all of this. But no one could have made God do it. Do, you, I mean, do we realize that there is no external force that, that made God, that compelled God to send Jesus to die in our place? 
Had God condemned us all to hell because of our sins, He would have been just in doing so. But He sent Jesus to open up this way because He loves us and He wants us to have access to Him. He wants us to draw near to Him. He wants our sins to be forgiven. He wants us to be pure and holy so that we can experience His presence and know Him. In a real and personal way. We do not understand what happened on the cross. If we think of God as some sort of an impersonal force. We do not understand what happened on the cross. If we think God is way up there. But he has no concern for what goes on way down here. We have no knowledge. We do not understand what happened on the cross. If we think God has no desire to be known by us in a real and a personal way. To think anything else other than the fact that the cross testifies that the Most High God loves us and wants us to know Him in a real and personal way. To think anything else is to demean what Jesus did on the cross. Today God reveals Himself through His Word and He says, Don't seek me here. Don't stand afar off. Draw near to the deep blackness where I am. Draw near to me. I want you to close your eyes and we'll close. I want to read a passage to you. Just listen to what the psalmist says. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. See Thy power and Thy glory. So as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate upon thee. In the night watches because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. My, thy right hand upholdeth thee. In another place, the psalmist says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Judah. Thou hast been has forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast taken away all of thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. <clears throat> Without be angry with us forever. Without draw us, draw out all thine anger to all generations. Wilt thou not revive us again? Thy people may rejoice in thee. These psalms express a deep desire for God. They were written by people who weren't content to hear from others who had heard from God.
They were written by people who weren't content to stand on the fringes. But they longed for God more than anything. The words of these psalms, they accurately reflect the desires of your heart. They ought to. God is working in us, through us and for us. The goal of stirring this kind of desire within us today. So how are you going to respond? Are you going to seek a mediator? So you can reject their teaching and soothe your conscience. You aren't rejecting God when there's something you don't like. Will you draw back because you don't want God meddling in your life? Will you draw near? Drawing near has to be done through Jesus. He is the one that opened up the pathway to God can't bypass Him. We can't miss Him and draw near to God. If you've never trusted in Christ, that's where it all has to start. It starts there for everyone. We must come to God through Jesus, believing He he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We have to call upon Him. That is your decision. That is my decision. No one can do it for us. You must call on the name of the Lord. If you're here and you say, I know I'm saved, but I have I have drawn back. And this is the time to pull forward. This is the time to say no more. No more living on the fringes. No more running from place to place. No more pulling back when it gets too hard and too challenging, too difficult. But I am going to where God is no matter what. It's a time to say no more mediators. I have full access to God. I will seek the Lord in prayer. I will seek the Lord in His Word. I will seek God in my life. There is a time in our lives where we have to quit playing games with God. We have to quit running away, treating Him as anything less than the great and the awesome, awe-inspiring God that He is. We lay our lives down and say, I'm yours, God. I give myself wholly and unreservedly to You. How are you going to respond today?